You're listening to 1881, powered by the American Hereford Association and part of the Hereford Network. Here's your host, Shane Bedwell. Welcome back to another episode of 1881. We're excited to bring you a topic uh, relative to our uh, DNA service provider, and that's uh, Neogen and uh, was a big part of what we do here at the association as far as uh, the genetic tools that we can provide uh, the membership. And so um, this is just one episode in a series that we'll have um, talking about uh, a recap from the annual meeting. And uh, we're, we're very excited to bring you kind of a summary of each and every one of those uh, educational forums that we had. Uh, we had great attendance during our uh, educational forum there on Friday during the annual meeting. Uh, we've had a lot of feedback from membership that really enjoyed it, and they want uh, just uh, a summary and kind of a synopsis of each and every one of those uh, different seminars. And so we're excited to bring you uh, our guest speakers back on uh, through the podcast and through 1881. And so with no further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce Dr. J.R. Tate um, from Neogen. Dr. Tate. Thanks, Shane. Great to join you here and appreciate the chance to talk on the 1881 podcast today about how we help empower the Hereford breeders through genomic services at Neogen. Thank you, J.R. And uh, as we, before we kind of get into, uh, you know, the the fundamentals of Neogen and kind of what uh, what you do, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit of background uh, on how you kind of got uh, in in the industry? Yeah, glad to do that. Um, I actually grew up on a cattle farm and and mixed crop farm in South Central Iowa. Um, went to Iowa State for my undergraduate degree. Got started with ultrasound for body composition as an undergraduate. Um, was recruited to stay at Iowa State and work on master's degree and PhD degree. During that time, a lot of work with ultrasound uh, that went into through centralized ultrasound processing systems into genetic evaluation programs, awareness of national genetic evaluation programs that were being ran at Iowa State and things like that through my graduate training. Um, and then as I finished up my PhD in quantitative genetics from Iowa State, I stayed on as a staff scientist there working with a uh, selection project, beef cattle selection project, using ultrasound to select for increased intramuscular fat and things. Um, we also investigated health of animals, how they responded to vaccination response, as well as the healthfulness of beef. Um, after about six years at Iowa State, uh, my wife and I moved to Lincoln, Nebraska. I started working for the U.S. Meat Animal Research Center at Clay Center, Nebraska. I was involved in an opportunity to um, analyze some data from selection projects that increased allele frequency for some key early identified genetic markers, fat metabolism like DGAT. Uh, calpain and calpostatin related to tenderness, um, uh, a couple of other um, thyroglobulin and, and some other genes. Mostly those markers were identified in 
carcass traits and carcass associations, but the questions were getting a better understanding of the inheritance mode. Were they additive uh, modes of inheritance or was there some form of dominance associated with them as well as characterizing female trait performance? And were there any unintended effects on female traits, productivity, and things like that if you were to select for the improved uh, power of the meat quality traits, were there any adverse effects on female uh, traits and things like that? I was there for about five years, and then I went to Neogen, and that's where I've been for the past six years as Director of Genetic Product Development. Um, here I have it at Neogen, I have a chance to work with a wide variety of species in the animal protein production uh, space. And now we're getting more and more into supporting companion animal, dog and cat genetics as well. But we develop and design genotyping arrays that uh, solve producers' uh, interests in getting good genomic information to empower and improve the rate of genetic improvement as well as, and that's through our GGP, and we'll talk about InfiniSeq a little bit later as a new technology to facilitate that. But then we also get into the service offerings with uh, commercial producers through iGenity, and that's where we translate the genotype information into genetic potential, high genetic potential, low genetic potential for growth rate, muscling, marbling, those kinds of things in beef. And we also do similar things in the dairy space as well. Well, I appreciate your background and it's uh, definitely uh, enriched in in science and uh, industry. You know, the experience that you have, I mean, every one of your projects that you were involved, that you shared with our listeners, uh, you know, and having that good cow-calf background, I mean, uh, you have have quite a bit of production experience and I think, uh, relative, you know, to the Neogen team being able to offer that, uh, on, on both sides, um, your expertise at Neogen is, is certainly valuable and, uh, is a big asset. And I know I've, uh, been, been on some different committees and, and boards with you through UGC and, uh, certainly appreciate your expertise. We, we, uh, you got off of that UGC board. And, uh, I think they miss you, you know, and so it, maybe it's time to get back on that JR, but, uh, no, we'll, uh, we'll leave that be for now. But, uh, so Neogen, let's, let's kind of just kind of jump into what, you know, when did Neogen start, you know, running DNA samples and kind of being a part of, uh, being a service provider, JR. So uh, Neogen's genomics background actually starts with an entity known as GeneSeq, and that was started by Daniel Pomp and Abe Uman in 1998 in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, they started working with offering, you know, single or small numbers of SNPs to some of the large breeding improvement program systems poultry and pigs in particular, so they could do at the time, the technology was marker assisted selection. Yep. Um, so they would go through, do a candidate gene approach, say, is there an association between some important or hard to measure phenotype and a genetic marker? And then they could um, leverage information about the genotype of the animal into 
an understanding of the genetic potential, understand whether the animal was likely to be favorable or unfavorable for that based on a small number of markers and things like that. So that would have been kind of the five-star, four-star, kind of some anecdotal some, kind of number that was assigned uh, based off of a ranking of of where those animals fit, right? Yeah, of just a couple, three markers and things like that. And even at that time, the, you know, sophisticated scientists in the space knew there were other factors important, but it was a first step in that. Um, Over time, the GeneSeq team, they went ahead and they invested in the cattle space in um, running and purchasing the Illumina 50,000 SNP, uh, Illumina SNP 50 array. And that was a off the shelf array that Illumina offered out into the industry and things like that. Um, and GeneSeq was a service provider. They made a big enough commitment to Illumina to purchase basically all of the first run of inventory. And by doing so, they could offer the um, SNP genotyping with service for cheaper than others could go to Illumina and buy the array itself and then still have to do the chemistry work. So that was the first instance into um, GeneSeq getting into making large commitments of the um, sample volumes that they were going to purchase with an uh, expectation that the industry would see the value in that and then um, run high quality genotyping platforms to develop uh, prediction equations to do investigative studies and things like that. Sure. Um, so that the- was about 2008 or so like that. And then a couple of years later, um, in 2010, uh, Neogen acquired the GeneSeq business from those sole proprietors that had initiated it. And with that become even more opportunities to make commitments into um, animal genomics field and things like that. Illumina changed their process a little bit as well, and they were no longer restricted to off-the-shelf catalog arrays. So Neogen and the GeneSeq operations team started to make choices about creating our GeneSeq genomic profilers, the um, arrays where we choose the content instead of just emulating what was provided from Illumina. It was a tremendous technology step at that point in time, but you know, we could see that there was a value proposition to be made by selecting the right markers and delivering the right kind of content. And we've made large commitments to fulfill that in many iterations since 2010, when Neogen, shortly after Neogen acquired the GeneSeq business. Right. So, um, you know, you you talked about your background with the U.S. Animal Research Center and and those guys talking to some of them are there still and some of them are not. You know, uh, those guys were fundamental in that process of helping to de- uh, design that first uh, first chip and first array. Is that right? Absolutely, they were, as well as researchers at Beltsville for yeah. USDA and and things yeah. like that. And, you know, that 50,000 SNP genotyping platform, that was a leverage of the investment. I think it was $50 million or more to do the first bovine sequencing and create that first reference assembly. 
you know, Hereford breeders should be very proud that the reference assembly that is the basis of everybody's comparisons is based on a Hereford cow that was developed at a different USDA facility out in Fort Keogh, Mile City. Dominette. Exactly. Dominette, she is the foundation, folks, of the bovine animal uh, genome. It was formed from her. So uh, everything, you know, there's been several iterations as JR talks and improvements uh, to that uh, as we've gone along. But uh, she was the uh, the way I understand it, JR, the first uh, whole genome sequenced uh, animal that was done uh, to form yep. that reference. Uh- Absolutely was. And then one of her sons was also very deeply um, sequenced and such to generate the Y chromosome sequences and things like that, knowing that he inherited X chromosomes from her. But, you know, that her and a son have been very influential for us understanding the genomic architecture of beef cattle. And people still continue to um, invest resources in understanding gene expression, um, gene annotation, as well as the alignment and the sequence um, of the A's, G's, T's, and C's. So you you mentioned Illumina, and just for some of our listeners, you know, uh, Illumina is basically the the chip maker, um, you know, in a simple term that uh, makes the product, uh, as JR talked about, uh, Neogen or GeneSeq in the early days was just buying uh, those chips off of the shelf. And as, as things have evolved, you know, now Neogen is, uh, directly involved with making, you know, those, uh, informative 50 K or 100 K chips, uh, specific for breed associations and Hereford and, and whoever else they do business for. Uh, but that was, a, that was a big step as you mentioned, but, um, you know, you guys, uh, do, service uh for not only cattle breeds uh poultry swine um a whole host of other things right yeah we've created um genotyping platforms for shrimp for the aquaculture space salmon cod um a a wide variety of aquaculture species we've done things for bison for certain use cases um you know, we, we try and work to create tools that facilitate the power of genomic improvement in a lot of different um, species around the world. Um, during the, you know, 12 years that Neogen has owned um, the GeneSeq portfolio or the GeneSeq business in Lincoln, Nebraska, we've also set out to create a global footprint. We have service laboratories in Air Scotland, in Brazil, in Australia, China. We've acquired another genetics lab in Spokane, Washington, and we also have a lab in Edmonton, Canada. And all of the development, research and development activities, policies, and protocols are established in our Lincoln facility. And then we, you know, deploy the similar methods, the tools that we develop through vendor commitments like Illumina for the um, the specific array or chip that we use. We develop all of those activities in Lincoln, deploy those, and then they get ordered and the services get provided around the world in those local service laboratories. But the data still comes to Lincoln. We do our quality control 
for consistency and we deliver to customers out of our Lincoln facility to enable global customers or people that want to um, do work with our customers like Hereford or other breed associations or things like that to um, get consistent results back as they receive all of their phenotype information. Yeah, I think that's important to, to note. Um, you know, as you well know, uh, we have producers that submit uh, DNA and genotypes, and they're uh, they're wanting to make that turnaround time very quick. And uh, I, I think at times, uh, you know, it's it's uh, any cattle breed association feels like their uh, DNA is sitting at the lab waiting to get processed is the most important DNA that uh the the lab uh, can process but you know i how many how many samples would would neogen process in a day jr or a week week's time our our sample reception team receives somewhere between 10 and 15,000 samples a day yeah. that then get started into a variety of processes or pathways based on what the test that the customer is looking for is. When we have good partnerships with the breed associations like Hereford um, Association and such, we get it in. We know what to do when the producer has submitted it um, with the appropriate paperwork and things like that. Those things come through very smoothly. Um, And then we go through our laboratory activities. We do our data QC, and then we send it to the breed association where that partnership is extended so that we make sure that the informatics, the computer systems talk to each other. Your systems receive the information as we update it and send it out as at the time of completion. Those are big partnership engagements between two organizations to make that process as smooth and as consistent as possible. And the organizations that do that see better improved turnaround times and throughput through our labs and things like that. When we get one sample that doesn't come with the information of what what we need to do with it or 10 samples, um, those are disruptions and those um, things get put into what we call a mystery bin. And we have to call and reach out to whoever sent that to us and try and figure out what did they really want us to do with those samples and things like that. So definitely working with the association, getting the order placed, getting the samples submitted and um, appropriately tracked really empowers our team to efficiently start them through the processing Mm -hmm. uh, in our facility. So I, I think that's important to note. I mean, uh, you you guys are a, a major service provider uh, globally, um, and here domestically, I mean, uh, you're doing a lot more than just cattle. And that uh, I know is is maybe a not a shock, but uh, you know, an understanding to, to our membership. Uh, Neogen has a lot going on, and so um, when you're sending in those uh, DNA samples, uh, having a good sample on the right form with the right information. Uh, uh, ensures your, um, you know, your process uh, can be as efficient as possible. And so, um, um, that's always good to, to keep in the back of your mind as you're, uh, submitting samples that, that may be tight, uh, ahead of a bull sale or ahead of, uh, any, uh, upcoming event that you're wanting that information for. So, um, you guys battled through COVID 
and I know it was a, a challenge uh, for a lot of entities, but uh, I, I do feel that uh, you know your team and your your data service uh, is definitely on the right track, and we're we're making a lot of progress. So, Jr., let's talk just a little bit uh, and, and kind of jump into you know your conversation during the educational forum. Um, you know, we we've kind of covered a little bit of it, you know, and how. Uh, the genotype platform has evolved and uh, how we've been able to progress with technology and uh, uh, with that. But let's let's kind of start into your your presentation, um, you know, and and why we've evolved from basically that four or five star uh, program of uh, ranking animals to actually providing, uh, you know, a, using a chip and a, a genomic, uh, you know, prediction. Uh, with that through the uh, the 50K and now to the 100K. Let's give a little background on that. Absolutely, Shane. I mean, this is an evolving technology. Um, knowledge is gained every day about what we want to do and how we want to use the information. Um, thinking back to those early days, um, the, you know, causative genes and things like that were, you know, Candidate genes were concepts that were easy to understand, and then you could find associations with that. As the quantitative geneticists had a chance to work with the data more over time, they started to think about how does this inform something broader about the genetic inheritance? Because we know, and you think about this, as as I think about this, the um history of what pedigree selection was able to do for us from an EPDs and a, an ability to characterize genetic potential of the animals, knowing that there was Mendelian sampling happening. It's quite impressive that the statistical methods from pedigree analysis were able to empower the genetic progress from the 70s and 80s into the 90s and early 2000s. But then Genomics offered an opportunity to augment the understanding of which version of genes were being inherited and passed from the parents into the progeny. And did this animal win the lottery, the the genetic lottery for getting the right genes or the good form of the genes or the not so good form of the genes? And it really has empowered an understanding of instead of waiting for a cohort of progeny to get phenotypic performance information, weaning weights, yearling weights, ultrasound data, or carcass data, and things like that. Now you have all of that historic phenotypic information. You have genotypes on those animals, and the genetic evaluation can um, sophisticated approach to understanding, is this animal better because of their genetics or because of their environment? And the genetics through the genomic profiling tweaks the assumptions from the pedigree estimate of those relationships between the animals and empowers a more improved, a more accurate assessment of EPD of this animal earlier in their production life. No doubt. I mean, it's it's amazing, really. Um, you know, we've made a lot of progress and, and selection has been uh, very favorable. Uh, with with EPDs uh, to this point, but uh, the leaps and bounds we're making, uh, turning generation interval, you know, being able to uh, mitigate risk, 
knowing more about these animals, these non-parent animals early in life, um, is a great thing. Um, and, and some may say we, we move too fast sometimes, uh, <laughs> sure. you know, uh, cause it's, it's kind of at, at laser speed, but I, I, I think JR, you mentioned something really valuable there that, that 50% from sire, 50% from dam that we rode through for a long time, you know, really got us to a good spot. But, uh, you know, there were some things that, you know, were missed, but again, it's, uh, it's not that what we were doing was wrong. It was just what we had at the time, um, as the best information we had at the time. And, uh, you know, just like anything, being able to change and make progress is necessary. If, if we want to keep this beef business, uh, progressive and, and, uh, you know, the demand from consumers, uh, you know, they've, they've been pretty clear on what they've wanted, um, you know, from us in terms of a beef, a beef supply. And so, being able to, to meet that expectation is, is pretty critical. So I, I, want and I, I think Shane, just to kind of leverage back into that, but you know, we've also really focused at Neogen on delivering content of value. And as the breed associations like Hereford and others, um, you don't have all of the traits that you want to have identified and be able to collect data on and things like that. We don't know which markers are important for all of those traits today, especially if you've not started to collect new traits for the future of the breed. But we've really tried to create the GeneSeq Genomic Profilers, the 100K, to be very informative from a futuristic standpoint and delivering information or markers that will drive things that are unknown today. But um, would be a resource and a tool to drive novel trait selections for breed associations into the future. And that's gets off into the, the complicated mathematics and the statistical models and things like that. But if the tool is better, the amount of capable um, improvement will be improved because the tool was better. And that's what we're really striving for at Neogen is tool improvement. Some of that is what we refer to as the information contained in the mapping markers, the ones that are just scattered very randomly across the genome of the animals. Others are us going out and surveilling literature, trying to help be proactive on things that may be recessive defects that may or may not be aware to specific organizations at the time that publications come out, but us trying to capture that and start to embed it into our content deliverables so that we can help people manage recessive lethals or anything else of concern uh, early on or at an appropriate time when the organization is ready to start implementing some novel insights from those deliverables too. It takes a lot of work, but we're committed to it because we know that the value is there for the partners on the other side of the table. Certainly. And I, that's that's kind of where I wanted to go, uh, JR, just, just for some of our listeners out there. You know, a lot of these markers, uh, the only way that you can, you know, make them a, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of a targeted information that comes back as a result on the on the SNP panel is through a phenotype, 
you know, most generally, um, because, you know, wait, unless, you know, you dig into the human literature and, and want to draw a correlation from something that's maybe happened, um, and, and perceive that as a potential threat or, uh, you know, a defect on down the road, you're really dealing with phenotypes to be able to find these causative or, you know, those, those type of markers. And, and, uh, that's, that's still a, a big part and a king. And so let's talk a little bit about that. I think that's, that's fundamental because you, you hear some folks saying, well, I don't need to uh, measure phenotypes anymore on the traits of interest. I can just genotype them. I can get that proof and that bump in accuracy um, with a genomic uh, 50K or a 100K, and then I'm off and running, and I don't need to collect phenotypes. So, I mean, very good point, Shane. And, you know, the beef industry is a novel experience in this because as an association, you have a group of members who are kind of competing against each other in the marketplace, but they are coming together to aggregate their information and their phenotypes and things like that. And so it is very easy for some people to say, I get the benefits by only investing in the genotyping, but definitely the accuracy and the awareness and the weekly genetic evaluations get updated with the best information when new phenotypes and new genotypes come in. Um, just kind of keep in mind the competitor space, the chickens, the pigs, some of those other kinds of protein space, they're collecting the phenotypes and doing the genotyping on all of the animals. They don't have this distributed membership, individuals making these decisions. They have one entity and they're all investing in the phenotyping and the genotyping to drive the you know very impressive um, progress that those protein species have, other advantages they have include you know the monogastric perspective and the very consistent production systems and feedstuffs that they have. Beef industry very unique that we get to leverage a lot of lower quality forage resources and things like that. And how do you leverage those into low quality resources that turn into high quality, palatable beef products and things like that, that consumers are willing to pay a pretty significant premium Mm -hmm. over the the pork and poultry, but it's still driven off of collecting phenotypes. And that is an investment from individual producers that they have to go out and commit to doing that. And it drives their own herds performance. Yes, there's some advantages to, to people who only do the genotyping, But there's also, you know, really good awareness of managing your animals and collecting the phenotypes in the production system that's appropriate for your customer base and will lead into the right kinds of expression of the genotypes for you and your specific environment. I'm certainly thankful the American Hereford Association Board of Directors class of about 2000, 1999 in that time period, uh, established whole herd reporting, you know, and so that's what anchors our performance program. We've been whole herd TPR ever since. And, uh, you know, that was well established. Uh, we would have brought on genomics around 2010, 2011, you know, and so we had that good base, uh, built, 
you know, and, uh, it's still kind of a, you know, we, we kind of double barrel it, um, uh, in general terms as we, as we go through with both of it. And, you know, as we've kind of watched our DNA, uh, typing and genomic work, uh, it's definitely increased. Um, and it keeps increasing here each year over year. We're seeing more producers uh, genotype their females. It seemed like early on, JR, most of the, the DNA work was just on bulls and uh, maybe a selected subset of bulls uh, that they wanted to market uh, on the high end. But uh, we have more whole herd uh, genotyping going on each and every year. And uh, I think folks are seeing a lot of value in the female side of it, maybe more and more. Uh, each Absolutely, yep. Shane. I yep. mean, those those commercial yearling bulls that you genotype, you want to provide the commercial producers the increased accuracy and awareness of what did they inherit genomically. But those walk off of your place. The females, you want to, you know, you're going to have, um, you know, an investment. You want that cow to be there 8, 10, 12 years on your place and be very productive. You want to make sure you're picking the right heifers out of the yearling pen to make the matings the first time. Genomics is a tremendous uh, tool to help empower that selection and picking the right animals, especially even on traits that are long, late, measured late in life and things like that. The genomics helps improve generally, you know, a 15 to 25 progeny information equivalent by getting a genomic profile on that animal. In some cases, the genomics improves the accuracy more than a lifetime of productivity for cows. Um, I'm sure you deal with this, Shane, um, in your role or Stacy, and we get these questions as well. There are instances where there's a one-off that there's a certain cow, her genomics comes back and she doesn't, it, it comes back and it it deviates from what People see for her productivity mm-hmm. and things like that. You know, genetics is less than half of the performance of the animals for almost all traits. So it's a very important part, but there's also the environment and things like that. And we're really still leveraging population genetics in the bulk of animals. You know, 95, 98% of the animals getting their improved accuracy is going to move your herd and the population in the right direction. There will be a cow here or a cow there that, you know, will stand out to people. They will show up and say, that doesn't really line up with what I expect for that cow's EPDs or genomics to look like. And I think we kind of have to realize that that happens as the, as the technology continues to evolve and things like that, as people continue to collect their phenotypes and submit them into the association, you'll be able to better characterize those scenarios too. Well put, well said. And, uh, I have had that question a few times, uh, as you can imagine, but, uh, well said it's population genetics and, um, that's, that's what we know. And it's the best that we know at the time. So, so JR, you, um, uh, Neogen kind of has a new product. Um, you know, we work off of the 100 K here today. Our samples are ran through, uh, the 100 K chip and, uh, it's, it's the, it's the best chip that you guys have available. I think it's a great chip has a lot of content as you discuss, but, uh, the next frontier is upon us and, uh, Neogen's invested quite a bit of resources in, uh, a product they call Infinisec. 
And so uh, you would have talked to the membership here in Kansas City about this new technology. Let's talk about what's different um, and kind of where you guys are going with it. Absolutely. Shane, really excited to talk about and represent Neogen's, you know, commitment to being a leading genomic service provider and, you know, providing the technology that will empower things. We may not know today what is going to be possible from this, but we really see this as a transformational technology to be the ones out there providing it into the industry, into the breed associations that empower their genetic evaluations and the ability to do uh, more and better genomics work into the future. In this case, we um, are making a major technology shift, and it's been a a very significant investment by our side to understand how do we do this, how do we do this effectively, consistently, accurately, and provide high-quality data out to our customers. That's, you know, one of the premises of what we've generated and built our business on in the past is high quality data. The GGP 100K certainly fits that bill. But this, the the technology underlying it is there's a microscopes for the GGP or the 100K. There's basically a microscope slide. And on that, we have to put the pieces of information or the pieces of DNA, 100,000 targets that we want to know about onto that microscope scope slide. And then there's, you know, thousands, millions of little beads that have that piece of DNA on it. And it tells us, is this animal have an AA, an AG, or a GG at that specific piece of DNA? With InfiniSeq, and so the technology on the microscope slide is limited to about 100,000 targets or SNPs that we can characterize on that. It's a technological limit on that. With InfiniSeq, it's a transformational change, and we're no longer limited by the real estate. We no longer have to define exactly which mutation, which piece of DNA we want to see, and we're not limited to 100,000 pieces of those. Instead, we take the entire genome of an animal, all of the chromosomes, which is about three and a half billion nucleotides long. We break it up very randomly, and we take little pieces of that, and we genotype that on next-generation sequencing. If you've heard of um, sequencing in the past eight or 10 years, it's most always been next-gen sequencing. It's really reducing the cost to acquire the information, but it also gives us a non-defined opportunity that we can go in and we can get pieces of DNA from everywhere across the genome of the animal. And in this case, we use another another technology that um, is implemented into a lot of genetic evaluations to kind of fix things, but we use imputation, which is where we understand that chromosomes are generally inherited intact. And if you know the organization of the DNA fragments and the nucleotides across the entire chromosome, from a reference population of animals, 
then you can go in and you can fill in the pieces that you didn't capture explicitly with the, the skim sequencing. So we're within FinnaSeq, we're using skim sequencing, which is not necessarily covering every site within the genome, but then we use that and aligning it to a reference population to then impute what are the two genotypes at this specific location. And now instead of delivering 100,000 SNP genotypes, we are delivering 2.2 million genotypes from across the genome that are of high relevance for information around predicting traits um, and understanding the genomic inheritance and prediction of that. The other part of that, though, is we know from our experience with the GGP arrays is there are certain features of the genome, horned pole status, uh, lethal defects, things like that, that we don't want to rely just on the imputation process. So we also do a, a special chemistry that we go in and we um, target certain regions, parentage markers, um, you know, certain lethal defects, um, some of those kinds of things. And we say we want to get more DNA coverage, more sequence there, and we make an actual call based on the genomic information that we capture from sequencing over those specific sites instead of just relying on the imputation to do that. And we are very impressed with the technology. This is this is a co-development with a partner called GenCove that we've entered into a strategic partnership on InfiniSeq, and they really have worked with us to facilitate both pieces, the imputation from low-pass sequencing, as well as getting the targeted regions to have a very high quality, very reliable call that you as a producer are going to be basing selection decisions on. Is this animal a carrier for a recessive lethal? Is this animal homozygous polled from a, from a dominant trait? You can see that it's polled, but is it homozygous? And are all the progeny going to inherit um, the polled allele? Those kinds of insights we know are extremely valuable for managing these populations. And we've spent a lot of time getting that characterized and captured uh, through the InfiniSeq product offering to have very high confidence on the places that are very important for managing populations, but also delivering new discovery content um, that will be quite empowering for new discoveries um, when the organization chooses to invest in understanding phenotypic to genomic relationships uh, at some point after you accumulate resources to do that. So really the best of both worlds, JR, right? Um, because Absolutely. You've, you've got all the research and, and content that uh, is setting there. It's going to be dumped into our genomic pipeline. And, and when we have a, a research project uh, that we want to go down and, and learn more about a specific trait or a a new trait that's developed and there's genomic relationships, uh, we can put that in practice and, you know, have, uh, say 50,000 animals already, you know, at least have an idea of the relationship, uh, to, to that phenotype. And then I think the most important thing is that business today and what you get in terms of, uh, you know, the genomic enhancement to the EPD, with what we're performing on the 100K, 
and the results from the defects that we have, horn pull status, as you mentioned, nothing changes, right? And exactly. so essentially it, this is a, this is an awesome technology uh, that will take us uh, forward uh, with R and D on the side um, and uh, our, our house business uh, that we need each and every day. And so it's a, it's a, it's a big leap forward and uh, you know, two and a, what'd you say? 2.2 million snips. Yep. That's our, our deliverable at this point in time. We'll keep evaluating what's appropriate to send out. These are um, markers that exist on a wide variety of historic platforms. I know that it's it can be a bit confusing. I'm in the business, but for producers, you do your genotyping once a year. It's easy to lose track of what's the genomic enhanced test we're running this year. But in this case, we go back to several historic iterations of array platforms. Those are all embedded in this. But then we also go and leverage national uh, databases. And they say, these are the SNPs that we assume are going to be functional and would influence protein uh, accumulation or the protein structure of the different genes and things like that. And that leads to an assumption that those would lead to functional differences. You know, a certain function of this enables the animal to be more efficient or to grow faster or to have more marbling or something like that. And it will enable a discovery of instead of finding a SNP with 100,000 markers, we have to find something that's close. And the tools and the evaluation finds the benefit of something that's close. Well, now we are hoping and anticipating that we will find the mutation that changes that and it'll be very consistent and very reliable over time. When it's a marker that's in close proximity, there's some risk that it's not the right marker and then you get some changes in those relationships. You, You definitely work through it on a very routine basis so that you continue to improve those things. But that's the technology shift is we had to pick markers, not because we knew that they were functional for all the wide variety of traits, but in Finiseq, now you have functional markers or SNPs that you assume will cause um, a, a change in phenotypic performance. And that's a really exciting opportunity to get improvement. No doubt the tools that are in place today They're doing a tremendous job and a great job for producers. This will be an incremental improvement for that is the likely scenario. But as we continue to accumulate data and the R&D happens, it may be more beneficial than that statement even indicates. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just amazing. I think when you when you go back and just think uh, when when the first animals would have been DNA just just from blood typing for parentage yep. to where we're at now, uh, performing a, a low pass sequence on the whole genome essentially. And the cost structure of what, uh, dominant would have been done for, uh, when she was whole genome sequence and, and deep covered to now, uh, being able to perform this, you know, fairly routine, fairly efficiently and, and fairly cost effective. Um, it's, it's, we're, we're definitely emerging 
And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, I certainly appreciate, you know, your leadership there at Neogen. I know you've been a big part of, uh, you know, this project uh, that's been going on. And I know others are, are working on it w- as well, you know, with uh, Dorian and, and Daniel uh, that are our, uh, our Theta team. Uh, with our genetic evaluation, they're they're working on it as we speak. You know of how uh, this new product uh, impacts our genetic evaluation and, and making sure it can flow flow right in uh, seamlessly as as we uh, we think at this point. So um, it's pretty exciting, Jr. Absolutely. You know, part of what we've worked on is to make it as seamless or transparent to the producers. And this association staff, we're working every day to, you know, get this so that it looks the same as what they've been doing and working in partnership with the organizations to do that. So, as you said, your GE, EPDs, they will look very similar, you know, through this process and they will get the same benefit. But resources are being accumulated in the background that drive new discoveries and new empowerments for the breed. And it's a tremendous commitment and um, investment or, or you know, um, leadership position for the Hereford Association to step up and say, this is a technology we want to understand our populations better with and, you know, make the action to move forward with this discovery kind of phase of work to empower what the membership will be able to do into the future. Very good. Well, I, I appreciate you joining us, and I know our listeners, uh, you know, thank you for your time um, because uh, this is a this is an important topic uh, relative to our genetic evaluation and uh, what we can do in the future. Uh, we hope that you continue to listen here through the uh, the month of uh, November and uh, December. We're going to try to bring you uh, wrap ups and synopsis from. Uh, most of those uh, topics that we covered at the annual meeting. And I know in the December Hereford world, you're going to have an opportunity to review those seminars and the educational forum and all the happenings at the annual meeting, because it was a fantastic, I mean, a fantastic as advertised event, uh, hall of fame, hall of merit, uh, new board of directors. I mean, there's a lot going on. And a lot of momentum, a lot of excitement, and it was a pleasure to see each and every one of you there at the annual meeting. So uh, continue to listen in. We'll bring you some more uh, seminar synopsises as we go forward here. But uh, with that, we'll be signing off. Thanks for tuning in to the American Hereford Association's podcast, 1881, with host Shane Bedwell. For more information, visit Hereford.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.